The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the podcast. Today's episode comes from Santiago in Galicia in northern Spain where unfortunately uh, I was enjoying my lovely summer holiday traveling in my van Uh, but then my friend has just come down with coronavirus so we are in a quarantine um, uh, location that the the government has paid for and we are we are locked down here for two weeks so we went from traveling around in a van and being completely free to effectively being in a coronavirus prison So uh, not the best start to the holiday. Uh, However, it does give me plenty of opportunity to uh, focus in on work and the podcasts. And it also allows me to um, to practice uh, dealing with my anxiety about coronavirus. Obviously, uh, if you have OCD, it's quite possible that over the last few months, you may have struggled uh, more than most with uh, worrying about uh, this virus. And so for me right now... um, Right now, I've tested negative for it, but um, uh, there could be, you know, incubation period. So it could be that I do actually have it uh, and I'm still not sure. And I have to deal with that doubt. Uh, So actually, you know, this is an opportunity for me to to practice uh, acceptance commitment therapy effectively. And fortunately, my friend who has the virus doesn't seem to have very uh, severe symptoms. So the next podcast episode is going to be all about this, how you can uh, use acceptance commitment therapy to help you to deal with your fears about COVID-19 and uh, hopefully to be able to kind of accept the uncertainty that we all have to, to deal with about it right now and how you can get on with living your life despite those fears. Remember, if you'd like to know more about me, you can uh, check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and you can contact me there or you can find me on uh, Instagram at Robert James Coaching UK. So on to today's podcast. Today's focus is looking at relationship OCD and I interview uh, Mike Keady. Mike Keady is a licensed clinical professional counsellor and co-director, co-owner of the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute of Maryland. He specialises in the treatment of, of OCD and anxiety disorders. He is a clinical fellow with the Anxiety and Depression Association of America and a member of the International Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Foundation. To find out more about Mike, you can check out his website, anxietyandstress.com. Mike has a really logical and results-orientated approach to um, OCD therapy and he gives us loads of really interesting ideas for how to manage uh, relationship OCD um, successfully. It's such, a, it's such a difficult problem and it really does affect many people, myself included, um, over the years. And uh, I think it's an area that is so important because 
OCD so often attacks the things that you know we really care about the most and so often for for most people that is obviously relationships so uh, it's a really interesting episode and um, I really hope you enjoy it and find it helpful many thanks so welcome to the podcast Mike hi thanks for having me thanks for coming on so um to start off with can you tell us a little bit more about yourself please Sure. Um, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor, which is just sort of alphabet soup for saying I'm a therapist. Um, I treat anxiety disorders and OCD, um, and I am currently the co-owner and co-director of the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute of Maryland. Fantastic. And so why did you decide to become a therapist? And, you know, why why did you decide to specialize in, in the area of, of anxiety and, and OCD? It's a it's a common question. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a straight line for me. I kind of always liked figuring out how things worked, why things worked. Um, I liked mysteries and puzzles. Um, I remember when my uncle bought me a cassette radio when I was a kid. My first thing I did was take it apart to see how it worked. <laughs> um, so I, I clearly had some kind of uh, passion for that. Um, and when I got to college, my intention was to major in computer science. Right. Uh, something um, that people in my life had said, don't major in anything that ended with an ology because you won't make any money. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, I thought computer science would make sense given my interests, but, uh, after I took a couple of psych classes undergrad, um, uh, my interest shifted, I guess. Um, mm. but it held my attention more as sort of figuring out behavior and why people do things and how to help people and how to change things. So I haven't looked back since, since I took a intro to psych and, uh, psychopathology in undergrad. Yeah. Treating anxiety and OCD in particular, that really didn't start until uh, sort of the end or just after graduate school. So I was always an anxious kid. Hmm. Um, I hit it quite well. At least I think I hit it quite well. That was my effort. Um, and as grad school ended, I was taking a CBT class. And uh, my professor had said that the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute was looking for a trainee. Um, it's a year-long mentorship program. And I thought that would be really great. That would be really awesome to get, you know, specialized training. Because in grad school, you don't you get more generalized training. Um, yeah. But specialized yeah. training would have been great. Um, and ASD, um, it's the short for the Anxiety and Stress Disorders Institute, ASD had a reputation in the area for being a great place to get that training, very hard to get into. Mm. Um, so I applied and uh, I got in. And it wasn't until I started working there, getting training there, that I kind of fell in love with treating OCD and anxiety disorders. Um, I was watching people get better. Yeah. Um, it was really rewarding to see that. Um, and it was sort of like in, in line with my passion, I think, of this new thing that I wanted to figure out how and why it worked was OCD and anxiety disorders. You know, how and why does it does it work and how and why does treatment work? And that's what I've okay. been doing. Yeah. And, and that kind of leads on to my next question, really, which is kind of looking at, at the why. Like, you know, why do people 
some people seem to develop you know anxiety disorders whereas others seem to be able to go through life and of course they experience you know anxiety because everyone experiences anxiety but it doesn't become you know a massive problem for them yeah that's a great question um i think the broadest answer to start with is that for people with anxiety disorders there seems to be some sort of gene some reciprocal gene environment interaction going on and and that really just means that some people are genetically predisposed say for a certain temperament um, genetically predisposed towards having the ability to inhibit or not inhibit certain neural pathways so if you have that predisposition and then we have sort of the environment and the interaction with the environment I like to think of it as light switches. So mm. genetics is a series of light switches and uh, our interaction with our environment, it either turns those switches on or it doesn't. And that's what I think in a broad sense is going to be the underlying cause of a lot of anxiety disorders. I think a related question more specific to that is what perpetuates or maintains an anxiety disorder. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's where my focus is and where I think I can affect the most change for people is avoidance of distress, avoidance of fearful, uncertain, ambiguous situations that have somehow in their life become attached to threat signals, danger signals, or a belief that they can't tolerate this or they shouldn't have to tolerate this. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my... That's my take on it. Yeah, so so you believe a, a lot of it comes down to avoidance, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because in in a previous podcast, uh, the last one, we were talking a lot about this. How avoidance is often, you know, uh, a big a big part of the problem. Yeah, I think there's there's predisposing factors. You know, that would be sort of the the genetics, um, and then there's perpetuating factors, and that would be avoidance and, and our fundamental relationship towards those distressing events. You know, our relationship towards positive things in our life is quite different than mm. our relationship towards the scarier things in life. Yeah. Um, and very true for people with anxiety disorders. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I really agree with what you were saying there about the genes as well, because, you know, some people clearly can be predisposed to you know, to kind of have this gene and to potentially have a problem. But if in their environment, they grow up in a, you know, a very steady household and, uh, you know, their experiences through childhood and adolescence aren't too stressful, then it's, you know, potentially they won't develop any kind of issue at all. However, if it's the opposite, you know, if there's something that happens to them in childhood or, you know, it could just be that, they go to a school where it's a very stressful school environment all the time or, you know, and any of these kind of things that can actually set off the gene then that kind of, you know, creates this problem of anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. And then we interact with that um, largely unbeknownst to us. We don't know, but we're interacting with it in ways that are either protecting us, making it less likely to flourish or they are like we're interacting with it in ways that perpetuate it. Yeah. Um, and and I think that has a lot to do with how um, how our environment teaches us to interact with negative emotional states, with mm. scary stories that our brain creates. Yeah. And o OCD is, of course, you know, uh, an absolute genius at perpetuating anxiety. 
It is that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, as we mentioned OCD there, um, today I wanted to kind of try to focus a little bit on um, relationship OCD. Uh, as it's something that, you know, it's something that many people kind of ask me about and have questions about. And it's something that, you know, has certainly affected me as well, personally, over the years. Um, so could you start off, would you mind telling us a little bit about um, ROCD, like what, what it actually is? Sure. Uh, relationship OCD or relationship-themed OCD Um it's when one's intrusive, unwanted thoughts uh, are focused on some aspect of their intimate relationships. Hmm. Um, it's often been described by others as either being partner-focused or relationship-focused. Um, so relationship-focused means the more broader sense. Um, it's relationship-based uncertainty, um, and it's when that particular uncertainty about the relationship itself provokes compulsions um, and or avoidance behaviors, whereas uh, the partner focused is more specific towards the partner. Um, what I mean by that is uh, a partner's qualities like their attractiveness, their intelligence, their appearance, mannerisms, perceived personality flaws or physical flaws the friends they hang out with, um, so on. Um, and so there's the intrusive unwanted thoughts around those things, either relationship focused, partner focused could be both. Um, and so the obsessions often sound like, you know, will this relationship work? Will it last forever? Are they the right one? Hmm. Um, are we in love enough? Am I attracted enough? Um, and and the compulsions here are lots of checking reassurance seeking um we see a lot of comparing to other people's relationships yeah um, real relationships or friends or people they witness outside or relationships from movies um tv shows sort of these scripted relationships um, we see a lot of social media checking, right? This couple looks super happy. They look really in love in these pictures. They look satisfied. Um, why don't I look that happy? Why don't I feel that happy? Um, the social media plays this nasty little trick on us, making us think that other people are enjoying life more than us, that other people mm -hmm. are happier or more successful than us. Yeah. 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 So that's right. relationship OCD in a nutshell. Yeah. So often it's kind of unrealistic expectations in a way. That's part that kind of that's part of it. Absolutely, I think that uh, people are taught certain things about relationships. Um, they have beliefs, they have expectations about relationships um, that are often unrealistic. Um, that they're that you know that you will know for sure that you're in the right relationship with the right one. That there will be no doubt in your mind when you're in love. There's beliefs that uh, that um, that one's level of desire and and sex is this sort of unchanged thing in a relationship that like it, you, during the honeymoon phase that's going to last forever or it's the wrong relationship and of course these are all incorrect mm. um, you know relationships themselves are inherently full of uncertainties and doubts. Um, yeah, so 
And it's not just uncertainty that is a perpetuating thing that people with relationship themed OCD are dealing with. It's also a, it's also a feeling of being trapped. Mm. And in a way, yeah. there's 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 a connection to sort of an agoraphobia kind of fear here. This feeling of being trapped in a relationship, being trapped inside of a choice, um, feeling perhaps discontented forever, feeling like um, you can't escape this mistake that you made. So people freeze when they predict this kind of future um and it leads them to do all sorts of behaviors some of those are compulsive behaviors some of those are avoidance behaviors yeah yeah absolutely no i i can really see uh you know from my own my personal experience in the past with different relationships you know how how a lot of these things you're talking about like certainly i can relate to them um and a, a lot of it i think you know, like comes down to perfection, you know, and so much of OCD comes down to perfection. Often you're looking for something, you know, the perfect relationship, like you were saying, like, you know, you want to have that honeymoon period to kind of last forever and expect that to be like, you know, great the whole time. And often, yeah, I really relate to what you were saying about this idea of feeling like you're in a trap. Uh, it's something in the past that I really felt like, you know, I was kind of okay, I'm not sure about this relationship, and but I can't break up with them because, you know, like what if it's a, what if it's a mistake? But also I can't fully commit to this relationship because what if that's a mistake? And so you're, you're in this like ridiculous area where you feel like really frustrated all the time because you're, you're not fully committing to the relationships. You're not getting everything out of it that you could and uh and and you're also not giving up on the relationship you're in a gray in a gray area and that is perhaps you know like the worst place to be you know and it's yeah and i think a big piece of this and this is true with any ocd i think is that you're zoomed in too too far onto the story onto you know, the what if question that ocd presents to you um, and you start thinking that I have to resolve or figure out something about this story, about this question, um, when the real work is, is to zoom out and realize, oh, this is OCD, right? It's, it's the issue I need to resolve is, is, isn't an attraction problem. It's an, it's a thinking problem. It's an OCD problem. Now it's possible because OCD is not kind enough to only affect those couples that don't have problems, um, it's possible to have relationship-themed OCD and have relationship problems that are genuine and real. Hmm. And yeah. that's the rub, is we need to figure out for the person with relationship OCD, can we work on that first and leave to you know be patient and see what's left over? Because there might be genuine problems we can work on, but we can't do that until we stop this perpetuating cycle of, you know, having a what if question that makes us feel anxious, afraid, trapped, uncertain. And, and then we have this urgency to resolve, to argue with, to fix um, the, that specific question. And the, the false comfort here is, is that we believe if we, if we answer the question in a satisfying way, all of this will disappear. Mm -hmm. But if OCD is present, that's not going to happen. 
you're going to get a short burst of reassurance and then a few hours or a few days later it's going to come right back um so that's why i say we want to we want to go after the ocd first we need to zoom out Mm. um stop me if i'm rambling no absolutely no no you're you're spot on and so if you you know if you did want to zoom out and you really did want to so you recognize this you recognize that okay first off i have to solve the ocd you know like i can't work out if i'm actually attracted to my partner enough or if there's real problems if i'm just focused on this stuff the whole time you know like i need to zoom out so you've you've accepted that and you want to do that so what are some of the the kind of the best techniques to to help people with with relationship ocd another great question um so i'm going to start from like um i'm going to start from a really broad picture and get specific if that is yeah okay. yeah yeah um so in a generic sense all ocd um it's about our relationship towards negative emotional experiences that leads us down a path of entanglement and intense focus on the content or what I'm going to call the what if question of an intrusive thought. Like Mm -hmm. what if I'm not attracted enough to my partner? What if I cheat on my partner? What if my partner cheats on me? So on and so forth. And then it gets us into this uh, entanglement with false comfort that I mentioned before this idea that if I just resolve this, what if question that everything will be put to rest. Um, so we, the first step here is identifying that this is how OCD acts and this is how OCD feels first and Mm. foremost. Mm. Um, so we need to be able to spot an obsession from a compulsion and all that, that sounds easy. It's not always that easy, right? You know, some obsessions are obvious, they're clear, but some are really good at masquerading as real problems. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially in a relationship. Like we want to be in the quote right relationship for us. We don't want to be in a relationship that's not good. And it creates this urgency. And for me, that is the first flag that can help me identify, is this my OCD acting or is this a real relationship problem acting up? Because very few things are true, truly urgent. But OCD makes everything feel urgent. Yeah. So yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. that's the first. That's the first red flag. The second thing I think that's really important for us um, to realize is that you now ERP exposure and response mm. prevention is still the most common and um, uh, ex- expected, hopefully, treatment for OCD, and that's because it works. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't need to jump into ERP as a, as a as a whole treatment process, I'm sure people can can f- look up what that is. But but there's a process of learning that occurs when you uh, confront what you've been attempting to escape. Um, and if you confront what you've been attempting to escape, it's often an, uh, a feeling of uncertainty or doubt or trapped feelings. Um, and if you choose to sort of float through that experience without resistance, no behavioral or mental resistance, Usually that resistance is in the form of a compulsion or an avoidance. It helps us create new memories. Uh, I like to think of these new memories as learning how the magician does his trick. Mm. Once you've figured out the mechanics of the illusion, you're never tricked again. So if we can figure out the mechanics of the illusion created by OCD, then we're not going to get tricked anymore. 
So I think exposure is probably one of the most powerful ways of getting at this kind of learning. So exposure and response prevention. Um, and, I, and I'm going to get kind of more narrow and in the weeds, if that's okay. Um, yeah, go for it. So, so we need to be incredibly clear when we start doing ERP. Uh, we want to know what OCD tricks we're actually trying to unmask. We want to say, um, what is it that we actually need to learn in order for us to get better? Um, one way of going after this is going after individual obsessions. Um, and that this can look like attacking a specific obsession with a kind of willingness to be uncertain about that specific scenario. So it sounds like this. Uh, maybe I'll be okay with my partner's annoying laugh. Maybe I won't. I'll have to tolerate not knowing, or maybe I can tolerate feeling trapped. Maybe I can't. I'll have to tolerate that uncertainty. So that is a common way of going after a specific obsession about a specific scenario and tolerating uncertainty within that context. My preference is actually a, a slightly different approach. Um, it's more what they might call metacognitive or going after the process of thinking and the process of OCD in general. So I want to teach my clients to say, hey, I know this. I know this process. Um, this is the process where I start to prioritize my imagination or my storytelling brain. Um, and when I do that, I kind of drift off into this imagination. When I leave behind, right, my reality, um, again, reality as it's defined by my present moment, my five senses, I leave that behind and I start telling a story. Mm. That's the process that occurs when I'm confronted with a what if question. So I get this what if question, what if I cheat on my partner? And then I have an option to indulge that what if to answer that urgency call. And the second I do that, I've engaged with my imagination. I've engaged with my storytelling brain. Um, and I'm trying to answer, argue, resolve, gain insight. Um, and what I would consider this to, to be doing is to be compulsing or ruminating. Mm. And getting the client to understand that the second you say, what if, the second you can put that in front of the obsession, what if, you know, insert your, your scary story here, um, you're acknowledging that this isn't actually currently happening to me. You're saying, what if this happens to me? Um, and so, so we're, we're taking a look at this and we're saying, okay, I'm going to either indulge this imagination, this story, or I'm not going to. Um, so we oftentimes when you get hooked by that story, you then select one particular story, even probably the scariest one. What if I do cheat? Then how would that unfold? And you start telling this really scary story about it. Um, we're effectively making stuff up now. So we, we're engaging with the story. We're making stuff up. So what I want to help clients do in this metacognitive shift is to unhook from that storytelling part of their brain to say, the second you felt that what if question create that urgency, can you actually reconnect the present moment? 
Can you not tell the scary story? Can you not indulge or try to answer any of that? All of that is a trap. All of that is a setup, right? All of that is the magician trying to trick you with a sleight of hand, hmm. right? And and if we can choose to say, I'm going to actually stay here in the present moment, I'm not going to answer that question. What I'm left over with is kind of generic feelings of, of unfinished you know, a generic unfinished feeling, a generic uneasy feeling, ambivalence, uncertainty, feeling mm. trapped. All of these are incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. But, but that's what the exposure is too. The exposure is not necessarily towards, from my vantage point, not necessarily exposure towards the scenario about will I cheat or won't I cheat? Will they cheat or won't they cheat? Am I attracted enough or are they attracted enough? It's not about trying to, to have my attention focused on the scenario or the story. It's about that story smuggles in a feeling that I want to desperately escape. That's the exposure, that feeling I want to escape. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think a big part of this is having, having the mental awareness, no, of, of knowing when, when the what if story is starting, you know, like. For sure. Yeah, that is a huge part, that awareness, that ability to slow down, zoom out, see the forest for the trees, mm-hmm. as, as you might say. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the early therapy work is. It's not just sort of what is OCD and how does it, you know, how does it show up? Um, what are the definitions of obsessions and compulsions? It's can you see the mechanics of OCD? Can you see it a mile away? Mm-hmm. Um, can you see how it tricks you? Because it's going to throw things at you that might be relationship based, but it might also be harm based. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it's, I think it's about shifting, um, your attention, right? Like the scenario grabs the attention. What if my partner cheats on me? What if I'm not attracted enough? What if I'm trapped in this relationship? That's a really scary story. That's juicy. That's sticky. Um, and our attention wants to go there, but that's the trick. We don't go there. We don't answer the scenario. We come back and we say, okay, what's that core fear? What is it that I'm actually trying to escape from? Mm, yeah. That uncertainty, that ambivalence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting because when you, when you scrape everything back, that, that's it. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to escape from these difficult, uh, difficult feelings and we're building stories around them because – you know, often, often I find actually people with OCD tend to be fairly, not everyone, but like lots of people I meet seem to be fairly creative, you know, and, and, and are very good at creating fictional stories about, you know, about their, their, their concerns and their worries. And, and, uh, this, this is part of the problem, I think. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on. Like if you can kind of, learn to have that awareness to, to build that awareness whether that's through you know methods like mindfulness practice and meditation or whether that's just you know writing down like your thoughts on a regular basis and you know kind of seeing what that what the uh, patterns are the, and the habits of, of thought that keep coming up again um you know like that that is the way out of this i think i agree um and I mean, I think a lot of roads lead to Rome. So I'm not saying that one way is necessarily superior to another. Um, mm. I just happen to prefer this way because I think it gets at a more generalizable approach. It's not just going after this obsession under this context. It's saying they're all kind of functioning and perpetuated by the same thing. 
And the benefit of paying attention to this scenario kind of begins and ends with there's a unique kind of uncertainty, if you will, a flavor of uncertainty unique to this scenario. And and that's the that I need to be exposed to that flavor of uncertainty or to that flavor of being trapped. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And that, to, and to yeah. me, that's the beginning and end of the usefulness of that particular scenario or that uh, or that uh, content. Again, they say content isn't important in treatment. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't want to get lost inside the content. A uh, a colleague of mine and and a uh, former mentor of mine, Carl Robbins. Uh, who's the director of training at our institute, has a really interesting um, sort of thought experiment he he put out there. And I'm going to I'm going to suggest it here. Um, yeah, real quick, which is he says, like, imagine you're in a movie theater and you're watching uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Um, and it's dark and you're you know, you're 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 several minutes into it. And there's a point in the movie where you are immersed in this story. You are in this director's imagination. Yeah. And you start to feel like, you know, like maybe I'm one of these teenagers being chased by the killer. Um, and you're in it and your heart is starting to race and you're starting to sweat and you're kind of feeling all this tension. And then the person next to you sneezes. And suddenly you're zapped out of that immersed experience no longer in the story you're in a movie theater and this guy next to you just sneezed and that process to me is like one of the most important therapeutic processes to get someone with ocd or anxiety to understand when you zoom into a scary story one created in your own mind um you're immersed in it you're invested in this made-up scenario and you feel like everything is urgent and everything is is you know threatening or dangerous and important and what we need to get them to do is realize we need someone to sneeze we need them to sort of get pulled back into the present moment get anchored into that present moment go oh that's what that was i was in my scary story and if we can do that what's truly left over is all of those feelings, all of those distressing, scary, emotional experiences that we then have to make room for, that we then have to learn how to handle and tolerate. But we don't have to say, maybe I'm being chased by the killer, maybe I'm not. Because yeah. because you've already acknowledged that was a story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's coming back to reality, you know, and, and, and really seeing exactly what it is that you're afraid of you know uh the the reality of the situation rather than rather than the narrative that you've created around it yeah well said yeah 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 no it's uh, it's really interesting so um some people with relationship ocd kind of feel the urge to to break up with their partners but you know they kind of worry perhaps this isn't exactly the right thing to do what advice would you give to people kind of struggling with this? I mean, you kind of already mentioned, you know, more or less what you would do, but it's, is there something specific you would, you would kind of explain in in that situation? Sure. Well, my first thing is patience is going to be incredibly important here. Hmm. Um, You know, if we're, if we're determining that we actually have OCD, we think relationship OCD makes sense or some, 
qualified professional has diagnosed this as OCD with a relationship theme, mm. we we want to not be led around by this sense of urgency. Uh, I think breaking up would be akin to escaping the uncertainty, the ambiguity, the feelings of being trapped. Mm. Um, obviously, I'm the the caveat here is, is that you're not actually in an objectively abusive relationship. So we'll we'll say that. Yeah. Um, of course, yeah. Right, but if it's I'm struggling with you know my level of attraction or the frequency of which we're having sex being the right frequency or the wrong frequency, and can I tolerate that forever? Or, you know, this the the variations of the different intrusive thoughts are endless here. But mm. so patience, you know, slowing down and saying I I don't need to be led around by urgency. I don't need to make a decision right now. I don't, you know, what I might suggest to a client is, you know, can we go ahead and just say, let's hit the pause button on making any decisions about this relationship for like four to six months. And let's really work on what we're thinking is OCD, right? Let's jump into that with both feet. Let's really work through that and see if we can get clarification on the back end after four or six months about what's left over, what was OCD and what might not be. OCD. So patience and slowing down and not responding to this urgency, um, I think is is probably the most crucial thing to do. Because what happens to a lot of people with relationship OCD, if, if you catch them when they're sort of older, is there's this string of, of failed relationships mm. and an, an interpretation about what that's all about, a defeated feeling, feeling demoralized about relationships, self-criticisms yeah. to, to themselves, right? Um and we don't want to perpetuate that either. Yeah. 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 I, I think you're spot on again. I mean, it's, uh, I, it's, I actually took some advice very similar to that a number of years ago in a, in a former relationship. And, you know, although the relationship did end in the end, uh, by taking that advice and staying in it, I actually did find out that, you know, the relationship was okay, you know, at that time. And we carried on for another year or so, and it was fine. But for another reason, in the end, for something completely unrelated, we we broke up, you know, and but actually I was able to be more in that relationship after that, you know, after I decided, OK, I'm just going to I'm going to do my best to be present in this relationship. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it more of a go and I'm going to try. And every time I catch myself kind of questioning it or getting lost in the story, I'm going to refocus my attention, you know, somehow onto the present and just being here with this person. And when I was able to do that, then, you know, the relationship, it improved a lot, you know, because I wasn't spending so much time trapped in my head, not being there with my partner, you know, not kind of listening to her or kind of paying, giving her enough attention. You know, of course, the relationship was going to improve. And of course, my experience of the relationship was going to improve and I was going to be happier. But it was hard at the time. And it was really, really, uh, really helpful to come across that advice. And I, and I think, you know, you, you, you pointed out something else that's really important is a lot of people with relationship OCD don't see that by virtue of them trying to figure out this, this anxiety in their head, that the actual present moment problem that you're creating unintentionally is that you're pulling attention and affection away from your partner. They feel that, they see mm -hmm. that, and they don't know why. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's this, you know, there's this idea that I'm choosing to focus on this what if fear because it feels big, but what I'm missing is this actual problem that's being created. 
right? Yeah. I'm actually creating a relationship problem now by trying to fix something that might be a problem. Yeah. And having people sort of see that can be really eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really, really important point. Um, present mindfulness in general, I think, for, for OCD is, is so helpful. If you can somehow learn to be more present and, and you know, contact the present moment, whether that's through anchoring techniques or, or yep. whatever, you know, it's going to help a lot in many different, many different areas. Um, and so kind of going on from, from that, another issue with relationship OCD is the fact that, you know, if you are struggling, you might want to explain it to your partner, you know, and this can be, this can be a really difficult area because, you know, if you just rush in and, and say to your partner, look, I'm really like struggling. I don't know if I'm attracted to you, blah, blah, blah then obviously like, this, this can have a very negative effect and your partner could take that in a really bad way and you know it, it's it could be really unhelpful however i think if you are really honest and open and you explain that it's ocd and you're you know you you i think it, it can be a, a positive a positive thing and and you know that person will be able to understand you more what do you what do you think about that I completely agree. I do think there's a there's a, a bit of a double-edged sword that can um, that can happen here, and that is, we want to be um, open with our partners, um, and we want to. I, I think of disclosure as a form of intimacy. We want to encourage intimacy, and and in disclosing is a signal that this relationship is ready um, for deeper intimacy through that disclosure. Um, we do want to create, if we can, ideally create a scaffolding for our partner about what OCD is generically, how it acts, how it feels, how it shows up, what you might see and how you can help me. And then perhaps there could be a time to get into the specific content of what mm. the OCD obsession is and what the yeah. rumination is about. Cause you can, you can really create a lot of pain inside of a relationship if you say you know i've been focused on your jaw and it's just <laughs> it's you know and it's just not i think it's too much it's too masculine and and, yeah. and like that's that's i mean painful if someone said that to me like your teeth aren't as straight as i'd like them to be you know like i'm self-conscious about that and even if i knew what ocd was i would still think oh ouch that's that's hard. I think if the scaffolding were there ahead of time, I might be able to see, oh, so, you know, this is just the story, right? This is you immersed in a what if question about something specific to my appearance or to my personality. I don't need to take it personally. And in order yeah. for the partner to get to that level, there has to be not just a, I understand the definition of OCD. I get it. I am in on the trick. And that yeah. kind of learning takes time. So yeah. I would suggest taking some time. Again, all this is ideal, which rarely happens in relationships. If you have a therapist who can help facilitate that process, that would be amazing. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of great articles and books out there that can help set the stage for that. But I would say start generic and then get specific so that the person has a chance to really understand this isn't about them. Uh, that this is really just a trick and I'm in on it and I get it and here's how I can help you as opposed to creating a whole different set of problems in the relationship because I've Absolutely, seen it. yeah yeah I think it is that that's 
yeah, I think that's the point I was trying to make. It's it's really difficult to know exactly what the best option is. And I think uh, maybe like you were talking earlier about patience and and this kind of thing. I think, again, maybe that kind of fits in here, you know, like don't rush in and just explain everything all at once, because I think that could be too much for somebody. Absolutely. I, I think there's some really key distinctions that I like to make with all my clients. And one is that there's a difference between something that's important and something that is urgent. Hmm. We don't want to be led by urgency, right? I think this is uh, this is coming from Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but I co-opted it. You know, it's 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 important. Yes, being honest in relationships is important. Having your partner on board so they can help you with your OCD is important. It's not urgent. And we don't need to divulge everything in one sitting because that's going to be too much. Um, the other The other key distinction, I think, is secrecy versus privacy, right? This idea that if, um, you know, I don't want to see my OCD as a secret, as a shameful thing I'm hiding from people. I want to instead see it as a private piece of information about myself mm. that if this person in my, if this person I'm in a relationship with, if the relationship has earned this new level of intimacy, they get to know more about me. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. And so moving on now from, from relationship OCD, do you have any, any kind of top tips that you really kind of, you know, you would like to kind of pass on to people, to listeners of the podcast for dealing with, with OCD? Top tips. Um, find a really, really skilled OCD therapist. Um, I think it's, you know, probably one of the most important things to do is to get into good treatment with someone you trust um, and someone who's savvy to OCD because this is an incredibly treatable condition, mm. right? I mean, it, it, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you know, 50 years ago, maybe pretty long ago, but in the grand scheme of things uh, where yeah. they thought it was untreatable. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and it's very treatable. It responds quite well. Um, and I think that there, the really the research continues to show that if we if we if we affect these different factors, these underlying mechanisms, you know, avoidance and not investing in your imagination, if we can find ways to to make changes there, you can make significant strides. So my first thing would be get into um, a, a really good OCD therapist. Um, and then the other thing, uh, again, repeating something from before is patience. This stuff can take time. You know, you might have had 30 years of reinforcing this avoidance behavior. You know, um, we're not going to fix it in two weeks. So, yeah. you know, an article, a podcast, um, they, they give us the encouragement and the understanding to then seek out the treatment. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important message because I think so many people and, and myself included when I first found out I had OCD, you know, I was like, like, you know, it was a massive relief finally to find out what it was. But then I was like, right, great. Now I, I can like get on and like, you know, treat, get the treatment and I'll be done. And actually, you know, it took a number of years until I was actually feeling kind of a lot, lot better. You know, I, I was making progress and, but I feel like progress with OCD is like, you know, maybe in three, like after three or four months, you, you start to make a lot of progress, but then you might kind of stall a little bit and you kind of feel maybe like you take two steps back. And then again, you make a, like, you know, six months down the line, you make a load of progress and it's not linear, unfortunately. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit like this. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that that's a that's an amazing point to make. It's not linear. Treatment is not linear. Recovery is not linear. Um, and and relationships, as far as happiness and and all sorts of other factors in relationships, is not linear either. You know, mm. there isn't a couple out there that doesn't have problems. Um, and what OCD with relationship theme is, it really sort of takes that vulnerability um, and that those you know unrealistic expectations and it just gets stuck on them and it really makes you zoom in and say oh this is a problem and we need to sort of understand uh, that it's it's pretty common right relationships have all these problems and that treatment if you're looking at treatment going oh it's been six months and i'm not better doesn't mean you're not going to get better it just you know I think it starts with understanding, am I doing the treatment of choice? And then can I stick with it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, some people for whatever reason, you know, might, might get it quickly and, and start to make progress. And unfortunately other people, it might take longer, but that's, it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Some people, they, they get it right away. Their OCD wasn't particularly severe. Yeah. They didn't have 20 years of reinforcing um, to compete with, and mm. they get it in, in weeks to months. I've seen that. It's I think it's more common to see people months, you know, uh, I'm not saying months to years, but you know, several months, a year, two years. Um, yeah, I think that's much more common. Yeah. No, I think I think it's a really interesting area because you know relationship OCD can really uh, you know can zap the joy out of life if you're constantly obsessing about about these kind of things and like we were saying earlier you're not able to be present and uh, just enjoy your relationship for what it is then it's a real shame and so like you were saying seeking out the right kind of treatment is is absolutely essential so um, thank you so much for your time today Michael it's been it's been great talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. It was good to be here. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website instagram page facebook group or anywhere else online or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional